Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free Posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. Try it. And if you fail, at least you failed on your own terms, right? At least you didn't fail, you know, because because of anybody or anything else, right? It's like I was fully in control. I like that idea that I was fully in control uh, to see what was going to come of this. Welcome to the Portrait System Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and this show is here to help you succeed in the world of photography and business, to help you learn to become financially free doing what you love and so much more. With over 1 million downloads, countless photographers have taken what they've learned from both our episodes and from theportraitsystem.com, and they have grown their businesses, quit their day jobs, and are designing a life of their dreams. We keep it real and share stories about the ups and downs that come with running a photography business. You'll hear real-life stories of how other photographers run their business, and you'll learn actionable steps that you can take to reach your own goals. Thank you so much for being here, and let's get started. Hey guys, now is your chance to check out all of the incredible photography education we have available for you at theportraitsystem.com. For only $7, you will get access to over 1,000 videos, including pricing, posing, marketing, lighting, sales, inspiring photo shoots, self-value, and more. Yes, you'll get your first month for only $7 when you become a pro member, and you'll get access to the full download library with posing guides and workbooks and so much more. Also, this includes a pricing calculator, a studio startup timeline, our weekly live broadcasts, including Sue Bryce's live talks, access to our private members-only Facebook groups, special discounts on photography products, and so much more. Head over to theportraitsystem.com and enter the code PODCAST7 to get your first month for only $7. That's theportraitsystem.com and enter the code PODCAST7. My guest this week on the Portrait System podcast is Chedna with Portrait Stories, and she's a photographer out of Calgary in Canada. Chedna had been listening to the podcast a few years ago, and she always had the feeling that she couldn't be successful at this, like the stories she was hearing from others here on the Portrait System. Then something happened, and she finally found her voice and her confidence, and once that happened, she made over $100,000 in her first year. Chedna shoots in her garage that she converted into a studio. She uses referral networking to get clients, which she shares her strategies that work when she does that. And she is just a really amazing photographer in general. Okay, I am so happy to introduce to you Chedna with Portrait Stories. Hi, Chedna. Welcome to The Portrait System. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you for this opportunity. It's uh, really great to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. You're in... Canada, Calgary? Calgary, Alberta, Canada, yes. Very cool. Have you always lived there? Uh, Last 26 years or so, yes. Okay, so a a while, yeah. Yeah. Where did you live before then? Uh, We immigrated here in the mid-90s from former Yugoslavia during the Balkan War. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Okay, um... This is going to be really interesting. I think a lot of people are going to resonate with your story because something that you said to me that really jumped out is that when you used to listen to the Portrait System episodes, you kind of thought, there's no way I can do that. Like you would hear the success stories and think, this isn't something I'm ever going to achieve, right? Absolutely. I think it's one of my most prominent memories, actually, listening to it and starting off on the platform uh, three years ago now and uh, yeah. listening to all these stories and to all these people and thinking, wow, this is so fascinating. And exactly like you said, it's like, there's no way that I would ever uh, get to that point. So it, it feels a little bit surreal. And it also feels like this great little universe moment of life coming full circle. Yeah. I think it's going to be really great for people to hear how you did come full circle and how you pulled it all together. But like, what were you thinking at the time? What made you think like, like, yeah, maybe they can do it, but I can't. I think I just always really, never really saw myself my entire life. I think, you know, given my background and immigrating to Canada as a young child, I lived my entire life on this sort of survival mode. 
and kind of just getting things done, you know, getting a job, having a place to live in, you know, having food on the table, all these things, you know, the basic necessities that were kind of that I didn't have prior to coming here. Um, Mm -hmm. So I never really stopped to ever ask myself, you know, what I liked or what I wanted in life or who I was. Um, And so essentially, I just didn't really have much faith in myself. I always felt everybody else was smarter, better, uh, that they had an advantage in some way, that they were luckier, that they knew better people, that they were at the right place in their life. So yeah, I just didn't have much faith in myself. Yeah. Obviously, what you went through surviving war and moving to a new country, immigrating, all of that is something that most of us cannot relate to. It's, I'm sure, extremely traumatic and scary and and all of the things. And it's also interesting to think that there are a lot of people who didn't go through any of that and still have that, I don't have a lot of faith in myself. I'm supposed to just survive and get a job. And I don't think outside of the box as far as getting paid for doing something that I love or something creative, you know, it's like whether you experience something as, you know, remarkable as what you have have gone through or you don't go through that, we still all experience those like issues with our self-value and all of that. It's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, regardless of circumstances, you know, as, as I think, Prior to a couple of years ago, I used to think that trauma are these big events in life, right? You know, abandonment, mm-hmm. um, you know, well, like you said, war is one of them, but you know, traumatic things like families falling apart, murder, rape, you know, abuse, mm-hmm. any of that. But trauma is actually any series of things that happens to a human being that they're simply not mature enough to process through mentally or emotionally. So, you know, it's, it's, it means different things to different people. But yeah, I think a lot of us, as particularly women, uh, lack in that sort of confidence and self-value, self-worth department. And it's, yeah. it's a constant, it's a, it's a daily work in progress. Yeah, it really is. It is. And, and it, I know personally, as far as I've come with my own kind of self-value, self-worth, I still have my days where, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> can I really do this today sort of thing? But I think- Don't we all? <laughs> Yeah, it, but I think the more skills we learn and when we learn when we do learn that value and how to value ourselves and like the steps to take to achieve it and it's like once you know how to do it when we fall off track it's so much easier to get back on track when you have those skills. It is absolutely when you have the yeah. toolkit, yeah, absolutely. Mhm. Okay, so when you know, you said you you got the job you know, like what you're quote unquote supposed to do is you, you get an education and you get a job. So what, what job did you have before you were a photographer? So I spent 20 years in the corporate environment working through various uh, oil and gas and utilities. Um, And it was in the, in the scope of project management, business process improvement, supply chain, contract management, sort of a variety of different things that center around kind of Systems, processes, optimization, service. Um, yeah, so for 20 years, I pursued education in that spectrum. And I never once in all those years stopped to actually ask myself, is this the work that you uh, care about? Is this something you want to continue doing? I just applied myself and, you know, worked really hard and studied and, and went through my education and was good at it. So being good at it to me mm-hmm. meant that that's what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Was there a specific turning point for you that made you realize, like, I want out of the corporate world or, you know, how did that, how did that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So December of 2019, um, I had, I guess you could call it a nervous breakdown of sorts. Um, I ended mm-hmm. up in a quite a toxic pocket of the organization that I had been with for seven years. Um, but I was restructured to a different part after I came back from the maternity uh, leave with my son and, um, uh, <clears throat> suddenly, things just fell out of alignment. I think that's the best way I can explain it is something just wasn't right. I wasn't being yeah. utilized in the way that I uh, felt that I should have, you know, not for my skills or my experience or anything. Uh, the people around me, you know, seemed to lack accountability or, or values didn't align. The work ethic didn't align. Um, and I started, and then I kind of struggled in that environment for, I think, 18 months, uh, trying mm-hmm. to get resolution, you know, through different, you know, avenues. And it's just, it just wasn't working. Um, and it started to affect my mental and physical health. Sure. And I was placed on disability. Uh, so December, 2019, and I spent three long years on disability. And wow. uh, in the meantime, while on disability, 
parted ways with the company. And uh, I had no idea what I was going to be doing. Um, this photography endeavor was never, ever uh, on my mind. I joined you know, the portrait system, the educational platform in March of 2020, right as COVID was starting. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was literally uh, a means of staying sane and educating myself or just learning or watching something to kind of make you know, the time pass by. Um, and then that's when I started sort of learning. And, you know, during COVID, obviously, we couldn't do much. Um, so as COVID was sort of coming to a close there, end of 2020, I started photographing as just practice family and friends in my home and yeah. uh, kind of built this quasi portfolio that way. And again, didn't think anything of it. For me, it was just the means of connecting with people during this very tumultuous time. Mm-hmm. And um, I did not consider this really seriously until really October of 2020 last year. Yeah, that's when I officially start, started my 2022. business. 2022. Tw- November of 2022 is when I officially launched. Okay, and we're recording this just so people have a good timeline, January 2nd of 2024. So you're looking at a year and like a month and a half or like a, bit, a year and yeah. two months ago. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Okay, so that is not a long a not long period of time. And I'm just going to throw this out there and we'll talk about it. But you said you made in your first year, like a hundred thousand dollars. I replaced my corporate uh, income. Yes. So uh, (laughs) over six figures. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And I wouldn't like, when I look at your work and your website, I wouldn't be like, Oh, Chedna, she is, you know, just starting out or like you look like a veteran photographer in a very short amount of time. Well, I spent <clears throat> over a decade photographing weddings part-time. So ah, while juggling okay, my... So, fo- so photography was something you were... It was a long-time sort of passion, doing, yeah. But it, wasn't, yeah. It, but it wasn't your full-time career. It w- yeah, it wasn't my okay. full-time career. It was just, okay. I come from a family of kind of the starving artist mentality, right? Like you just can't okay. make money with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so while I worked in corporate for 20 years, um, this interest in photography really developed kind of 2008 during uh, travels with my husband. So my husband and I okay. uh, traveled before we had kids and I sort of developed this keen interest, particularly in documentary photography and kind of recording everyday life through our travels. Um, and then okay. when I had my daughter in 2011, uh, she was born with um, cataract that was undiagnosed and left her almost blind. Uh, so oh the journey gosh. of going through that also, again, kind of the documentary style of photographing our daily life and kind of her Mm -hmm. struggles with her eyes and that. And then I picked up weddings in 2011 because I kind of wanted to just channel this passion somehow, but timing wise, having a corporate job, you know, that's, you know, seven to five, Monday to Friday, weddings were the only thing that made sense just from a logistics perspective because they happen on weekends. So yeah, for well over a decade, I photographed weddings, but uh, it's sort of a glorified hobby. (laughs) Yeah. Got it. Okay. So I thought you said you weren't involved in photography at all. So you were involved just as a hobby, but not as like a Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. Okay, so it's not like you 2020 is the first time you learned how to use a camera or anything like that. So you no, knew how to no. use your camera. You were just ready to the, the you know. portrait spectrum was yeah. foreign to me. Like that idea okay. of, you know, studio lighting, knew nothing about studio lighting, knew nothing about the technicalities of strobes or reflectors mm-hmm. or any of that, you know, or even just interacting with people at that level of, at that intimate level, right? Because weddings, as you know, are, they're documentary. You're kind of a fly on the wall. You follow people mm-hmm. around, you document what you're seeing, but it's not like you're really developing this personal in-depth relationship with people, if that makes sense. Okay. So you did you, three years of disability and, and during that, I just want a quick recap. So during that time in 2020, you were just trying to keep your mind busy, creativity, join the portrait system in 2020. And then when did you officially start your business? You said November of 2022. That's correct. Okay. So November of 2022, at that point, did you have your portfolio built? Did you know which genre you really wanted to you know, pursue and, and make money with? Where were you at at that point? Yeah, so the portfolio really, like I said, was the, you know, I didn't know it was going to be my portfolio, but that was the piece of, you know, right after COVID, kind of photographing family and friends uh, Mm -hmm. and maintaining that connection. So that ended up really becoming my portfolio, right? So, um, and the genre, I mean, for me, I knew that it would be, um, you know, it would be everyday people. It would be women, men, children. I love photographing children. And basically 
hadn't done anything with weddings at that point for, you know, since 2018, 19, even long before I went on disability. And so I dismantled that website, took all of that down and uh, rebuilt the portrait uh, website for the portrait uh, business that I was uh, contemplating. So for me, really, you know, the passion was there, but it took a lot of months uh, just even figuring out, it took close to a year of even just trying to figure out, is this feasible? Can I actually do this? And working on the mindset to even be able to peel myself off the ground. For me, it was a very slow, slow journey. Yeah. I mean, I think I think there are sometimes people just jump right into it and just start doing it. And we make it was not mistakes. Me. <laughs> and yeah. And that's and that's really what I want to speak to are the people who kind of have that um, analysis paralysis. Like I have photography friends that have, I mean, they have the skills. You know, they're great photographers, but they just aren't making money doing it because of that. I don't. I don't even know if analysis paralysis is the right word. Maybe it is. It's still not finding their own value. You know, a combination of both things. You know, like, can you like take us back during that time? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, honestly, I think I was a like. I I think looking back, I feel like I was probably the worst of the worst. Like, I mean, I just and it wasn't. It, it was you know. It was paralysis by analysis, but I think for me, it was also, I just didn't have the faith. Like I didn't have the faith in myself, the disability portion and me leaving that corporate environment completely eroded my sense of self-worth. Like it, it essentially pulverized me. Like I, I lost all sense of myself. I lost, my identity was tied to my corporate job for 20 years. Like beyond that, I didn't know who I was, right? I didn't know what I had to offer the world. I didn't Mm -hmm. know, I had no clarity on what my skills were or what my strengths were or what I like what I could do really, like I had to start from ground zero. So rebuilding that back up was a very slow and painful process. Yeah, I wasn't worried of the business side of things. I knew I had the discipline. I knew I had the work ethic. It was literally, are you good enough to do this? Like, do you know what the hell you're doing? Right. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to make this a sustainable business? Because like I said, even doing weddings for a decade, it was a glorified hobby that paid some extra money on the side, right. For travel. It wasn't, I didn't treat it as a, as a proper business. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sitting down and, and running your, you know, putting your expenses together, figuring out what the operating costs were going to be, uh, you know, figuring out what I had to earn and going back to, you know, how do you charge your worth? Because those prices to me seemed astronomical at the time. Like I literally remember mm-hmm. spending weeks looking at that and going, there's no way, like there's no way, even though the numbers added up. Right. So for me, it was excruciating, like the fear, the fear of selling, uh, the fear of not knowing how to market myself. How do you reach people and not sound like a, you know, used car salesman is sort of the analogy (laughs) that we often Mm -hmm. refer to. Right. All of those things were very, very true for me. Even I think the business model, you know, we, you know, we talk a lot on the platform about, you know, you don't need to necessarily reinvent the wheel, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the fundamentals, the, the building blocks are there for you. Well, for me, this notion of creating portraits as sort of a, a stylized, you know, makeover version didn't necessarily resonate with me, right? So I needed mm-hmm. to find, like, what's my voice? What do I want to say? What What does my copy need to look like? I mean, I agonized over the copy for the website for months and months and months. And during this entire time, I watched people like, you know, in my city and in my country and in the U.S. and all over the world that I followed and whose work I admired or people that were starting out kind of same time, started learning same time as me. Like, I saw them just whizzing by me. Like people were building their websites, you know, overnight or Mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks, like they were getting clients, they were building their portfolios, you know, they were putting posts about their first sale and I was still just stuck. Right. So I think for me, I really had to work on that self-value piece first and then get over the fear and then say, okay, what skills am I missing? What do I need to build on and then build those skills and then basically peel myself off the ground. But once I made the commitment, I think the commitment is a key thing. Like you have to commit to yourself. You're either doing this or you're not. You can't be one foot Mm -hmm. in, one foot out. For me, I still wasn't sure. Was I going back to corporate? Was I going to get another job in a better company? Like it was hard for me to part with all the benefits, the financial benefits and what I had in that work. That was very hard for me uh, because this was so risky and so unknown. And because I had lived this very structured life for 20 years, that was very predictable. 
you know, with the paychecks coming on the same time and with benefits and pension and, and bonuses and all of these things, this was just completely like, this was crazy for me. Like this was just a crazy venture. Like I, you know, so it, it was hard. It was hard. I want to go back because there's a lot, a lot I want to ask you through there. But one thing before I go back, I know there are the benefits of the corporate secure job. You know, and I think back to being a school social worker, I had a stable, even though it was a very small paycheck, it was stable. I had the health insurance, you know, it was just like this. I never had to work weekends. Well, I don't work weekends now, but okay. So if we think about those benefits for you, what are the benefits now of being self-employed if you compare to where, where you were with corporate? So for me, it was freedom, freedom of choice, uh, freedom to use my time, how I best see fit. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I think beyond that, for me, the biggest reason or what pushed me to make the decision to leave was I gave so much of myself to that work, to the corporate work, so much time, energy, attention, detail, so much work ethic, so much discipline. And it just wasn't really, it wasn't really valued, I guess, in that particular part where I ended up that I just thought to myself, if I invest the same amount of time, energy, goodwill, work and effort into working for myself, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was this Mm -hmm. curiosity piece. Like I was just curious enough to know what would that look like? And then I ultimately, I kind of, I led teams in my corporate world and had people reporting to me. But, you know, for me, it was more, I always enjoyed kind of working alone and I enjoyed making my own my own kind of rules, if you will, and my own systems. And so that's kind of, that's what, that's what it was for me. It was freedom of choice, freedom to do things the way that I want to do them and, and kind of seeing what I was capable of. Just a little side note to that. It's, it's like, it is interesting because when people say nine to five, it's a joke. It's never nine to five. It's like seven to five. However, when you do get home, usually people just like, you know, work is there, home is here. When you're an entrepreneur, it's hard to shut that off. So that is the one thing that I really had to learn. It took me a long time to get to this point where I could really have some good boundaries or when, around when I do and don't work. But I think that that's just one of, the, one of the things to consider when you are an entrepreneur is really putting those boundaries in place for that time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You're, abso- you're absolutely right. And I yeah. think for me, that was one of my biggest lessons learned from this first year. And it's one of the number one goals for next year is awesome. better boundaries yeah. because I had mm-hmm. none. And uh, yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I was too. Okay, let's back up a little bit because you were saying how it just it just felt like you couldn't do it. What was the the moment or was there a thing or were there steps you took in order to finally realize, you know what, I can do this and I'm going to? Like was it, um, you know, videos you watched or a book you read or did you have to hear something over and over? Was it watching the other people doing it? You know, what was it that finally made you realize I can? You know what? It's absolutely was a combination of all those things. You know, I don't recall a particular, you know, moment of enlightenment, you know, where the, where Mm -hmm. the light bulb went on. Uh, but it was, it was a combination of the commitment, right? Of showing up for myself every single day. So even during that time when I was still on disability, however small or hard it was, I showed up every day for myself, whether it was to read a, a book or listen, like listen to an audiobook, you know, listen to self-help things, uh, work on the skills, you know, of selling or, you know, work on uh, marketing or work on whatever I needed to work on, right? It was absolutely listening to, you know, the podcasts and to other success stories. Uh, it was absolutely belonging to the, you know, the educational platform and hearing people's success stories, you know, it, it kind of mm-hmm. makes you wonder. For me, I think it was just, my curiosity eventually got louder than my fear. And it was just, Hey, you know what? Try it. And if you fail, at least you failed on your own terms, right? Yeah. At least you didn't fail, you know, because, because of anybody or anything else, right? It's like, I was fully in control. I like that idea that I was fully in control uh, to Mm -hmm. see what was going to come of this. It is nice to have the, the portrait system, like the membership education. Cause it's like, okay, once you do nail down, what, what do I need to work on? Is it marketing? We've got videos for that. Is it selling? Oh yeah, lots of videos for that. Is it lighting? Tons of videos yes, for that. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's kind of like choose your own adventure. It is, it is. And I think, but I think the key thing, you know, before you know how to choose your own adventure, you have to kind of work on yourself and you have to have that self-reflection and self-awareness to ask yourself, right? Like, what are you good at? And what are you maybe lacking in? And to know where to direct your energy. Yeah. So for me, the biggest takeaway was really just 
you need to show up every day and do something, however small or insignificant it may seem. It's the compound effect of all of these tiny little stepping stones that ultimately mm-hmm. in the end accumulates to, you know, where, where you're going where you're to end up at. Absolutely. It is. It is a lot of tiny steps and it adds up to big steps. You know, when you just do something small every day, if for a month, if you look back, now you've achieved something big. And, and I think it's interesting too, because I, I know we talk a lot about the self-value, the, um, you know, just self-love and believing in yourself a lot on this podcast. But a lot of people come to the portrait system for the photography. And then they hear Sue talking about, you know, the self-value piece and the confidence piece, and they end up staying for that. I, I mean, obviously, there's it's it's a combination of all the things within the education, but that part I think people don't realize they need sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then they hear some of the self value videos, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's re- okay," you know, and it resonates so much, and you realize sometimes that is the, the biggest piece of the puzzle. Like, you can be the best photographer in the world and not have that that confidence, and and it's not going to get you anywhere. It is, you know, and I think it's such a, it's such an intricate ecosystem, I call it, right? I think kind of running your own business, it doesn't matter if it's in the photography world or any other um, service or, you know, uh, selling any other goods, having any, your own business. It's, there's so many, there's so many moving pieces, right? There are so many moving pieces. And for me, I think my biggest scratch for years was that I felt that I was a solid photographer, even when I was in weddings, right? Like I, I felt and and that's the feedback that I would get from my clients. You know, they loved something about my images. They would say that, it, mm-hmm. you know, there's something soulful about it. There's something expressive about it. But for me, I would always see these other businesses that I didn't feel were that great, you know, from an artistic or technical yeah. perspective, but they were super successful. They were way more successful than I ever was. And in my head, I couldn't reconcile that idea. I fundamentally always believed that you had to be a great artist to have a successful business. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and it was this idea of like, well, you put it out there and they will come. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then I would kind of sheepishly put work out there and it's like, there's nobody coming. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize what I was missing. And that's what I was missing. I was missing the invitation. I was missing the business piece, right? I was missing the ability mm-hmm. to sell myself and my work, to talk mm-hmm. about my work. I was missing the belief in my work and so many other things that come along with running a business, right? It's so funny because there was um, a review that someone left, I think it was on Apple Podcasts, of this podcast, and it said something along the lines of, um, Nikki thinks she's the greatest photographer, but I don't know how someone could put her in the same category as Sue or something like that. And I kind of laughed because I was like, first of all, I've said multiple times on this podcast, I am not the greatest photographer in the world. Do I think I'm good? Yep. Do my clients like their stuff? Yep. Like, do I think I'm great? Eh. Sometimes, you know, never said that. Never said I was in the, like, a category with Sue. Not even close. But I value myself. And I know how to run a business now. And I know how to pose and light well and all of those things. So do I need to be the best photographer in the world? Absolutely freaking not. To be super successful. And just like you said, there are just some, you know, so-so photographers out there who are crushing it. So it just kind of made me laugh. I was like, oh God, whatever. But it's interesting you say that because I think one thing that I learned from myself is that I think sometimes we get hung up on, do I like this person? Oh, I don't like them. Therefore, I've got nothing to learn from them. And that I think Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest mistakes because there's always something to be learned, whether you look up to people artistically or not, or you look up to them as business owners, or you look up to them in any other way, you can learn things from people, even if you don't like them. So it's kind of, you know, don't be too quick to judge. You never know what uh, anybody's journey is. Oh, totally. And and this is something that Sue and I talk a lot about on the Self-Value Podcast is that when, you know, you're like bitter or angry at someone or, you know, that envy comes in, usually it's like, okay, what do they have that I want? So if I do start to feel that way about someone like, oh, I don't, you know, they have this and I'm like, okay, well, obviously they have something that I want. So what is that? And how can I get that? It's just such a self-reflective, you mentioned this before, actually, it's really like, looking at, okay, what do I need right now? What do I need to learn? What do I need to do next? As opposed to it's everyone else's fault. It's the economy's fault. It's, you know, whatever it is. 
it's uh, that self-reflection piece. It's me. What do I need to do next? And where do I need to go from here? It's so powerful if you can have that self-reflection. It's so powerful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, okay. So I want to talk about going from, okay, I'm practicing with friends and family to making 100K in a year. So like, how did you start getting clients and did you start charging sustainable prices right out the gate? Like, how did you do all of that? I did. I started charging the, you know, the, the international standard, if it is that, or, you know, a sustainable standard by calculating my cost of goods and and my operating expenses and all of my programs and and everything that I need to run this business. Mm -hmm. And that was also hard. I mean, that took months too, because again, it was just like, how am I going to, how am I going to make this work? You know, I've been a family photographer while I did weddings as well for 11 years. And, you know, I would get people coming up to me saying, I love your style of documentary family photography. And, you know, at the time, like my price was $500 and I would mm-hmm. deliver 200 digital images oh, and, wow, I would go yeah. on lo- and I would go on location and, and people would be like, oh, that's, that's a little bit too much, you know, 500 bucks, love your work, but can't really pay for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I tripled the family photography piece only, I remember the first client came that year, bought an album, paid, you know, $2,400, whatever it was, didn't bat an eye. And I remember that was a pivotal moment. I remember sitting there going, what the hell just happened? You know, like, I, I can't <laughs> believe this just happened, right? So that was my first kind of little validation piece that, okay, like, you know, this has the potential to work, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it was, it was kind of coming out of the gate. I came out, I priced myself the way that we're, you know, taught or, or close to it and um, sourced and my- what was uh, your, do you products. remember your- starting package. I don't yeah, know if it's so, the same and that it is now. But. I'm not sure. Yeah. But my eight uh, portrait collection is 2,300 and then there's a session fee of $550. Wow. Yeah. 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 So that's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah. And then it kind of went up from there, right? So I do eight uh, image collection, 16 image collection, and then a 25 image collection. And a la carte. Um, you know, that's kind of one of the things that I allowed this year is for people to come in and, you know, purchase one or two images if they wanted it to. There's some reflection that needs to happen on that, whether I continue that next year or not, uh, just because from a time investment perspective and the cost mm-hmm. and everything and the amount of time that I invest in each custom photo session, um, it, that's not really sustainable for me going forward. So um, some rejigging is probably going to happen going into the new year and how I do that and whether I even offer a la carte as an option or not. Now, I want to I hear about, you know, how you're getting these clients and all that. But before we talk about that, talk about the type of shoots that you do mostly. Because I know you said there's some family, there's some personal branding, like break down how much you're doing of each session for the most part. And then where are you shooting? Yeah, so I, my studio is, we converted our uh, home-based garage into a studio. You're, you're looking at it here. So that's part of my studio right behind me. And then my shooting okay, section nice. is kind of up in front of me. Um, so that was kind of how I started off with. In terms of getting clients, I, again, part of the self-reflection piece, I know nothing about ads. Uh, I know nothing about online funnels. I know nothing about, you know, the 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 fancy trendy things, you know, you should be doing online. I'm not great with social media. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with social media. So for me, those were kind of like, do I spend now a year learning all those and see what happens? Or do I, again, go with what my strength is? And my strength is connecting with people in person. So my first Mm -hmm. thing was networking. So I really hit the ground running from the day that I kind of launched and announced, you know, that here I was and here's my website and here's my business. I started looking at local events and going out to anything really that was of interest to me. So it it didn't even have to be, it wasn't even business networking. It was, you know, anywhere that um, women, you know, socialized things that interested me personally, like arts or, you know, dance classes or, um, you know, masterminds, business masterminds or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And I basically did almost 47, 47 or 50, almost like a networking event per week for the first year of my business. I went out every single week to an event. Yeah. That's, I did that too. My first year. Yeah. Every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it pays something off, that, it? well, it, <laughs> it, did, it did, you know, I think 
and not always, like I did by no means did I go into every event and walk out with five clients. You know, there right. were many events that I didn't get any clients, but I think yeah. for me, my priority for year one was just to be visible because I had been a secret for so long, like even in the wedding, during the wedding years and, you know, my travel photography, like I have hundreds of thousands of images that have never seen a light of day uh, because there was mm. always this fear of, you know, what will people think? And again, is this good enough? And just never putting myself out there. So for me, the networking piece in the first year was just a challenge to myself is, you know, just putting myself out there um, mm -hmm. and, and kind of walking that uncomfortable. Yes, I love connecting with people. Yes, I love doing one-on-ones, but it's not my, like, it's not my favorite thing to do, you know, walk into a room of strangers and having to walk around and make conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really, it was really putting myself out of my comfort zone uh, by doing that. But that I saw as a step I needed to take to personally grow, right? So if there's no discomfort, there's no growth. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Did you have a specific strategy when you would walk into a networking meeting or, you know, to some sort of event? Because eventually we need to tell people what we do. And, you know, obviously the goal is to get, well, you know, it starts as building those relationships and those connections, but eventually, yeah, we want to book you, you know, we want to book these people. So did you have a strategy around that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my strategy, I didn't call it a strategy at the time. I wasn't aware it was a strategy, but my core strength is acts of service. So my love language is acts of service. I'm a person mm -hmm. that is always doing something for others, uh, often to my detriment, but that's kind of what I've done my entire life. And that's what I know how to do best. So for me, subconsciously, when I would go into these networking events, I always went with that service in mind. It was always when I met people, it was never, I never pitched myself for what I do until I offered to support them in some way. So I would always lead with questions of, you know, finding out what they did and how long mm -hmm. they've been in business or how can I support them in whatever way that was, right? And if it was a social gathering, again, I always lead with curiosity. I lead with questions. I lead with mm -hmm. that genuine interest That's in smart. the other person before I ever, before they ever feel compelled to ask me anything about me. Uh, and if they did feel compelled to find out about me, that's when I would then introduce what I do. But I worked so hard and I'm still working on it. I mean, the pitch, right? The infamous pitch mm -hmm. everybody tells you about. Yep. Jesus, I think I rewrote, I think I have like hundred different versions of my pitch. And it's like, oh, it's never, yeah. you know, like it's never quite good enough. And you're always yeah. adjusting it to the, to the audience and to the, like, so that I'm still working on that. You know, I still sometimes wonder if people, you know, look at me like, what is happening? Um, <laughs> and, and one, and, and the reason I say that is I was at one networking event where, uh, you know, there was, there were two other photographers there and, uh, one of them is a particularly a boudoir photographer. And when they introduce themselves as a boudoir photographer, everybody knows what that is. Right. Mm -hmm. And all the women around the table kind of go, wow, you know, like I've always wanted to do that. Or, you know, I have that on my bucket list for my 50th, 60th birthday. And then when I introduce myself as a portrait photographer, you know, it's kind of like, what? So you take pictures of people with their clothes on? I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a bit of that, you know, like just kind of finessing the words that you use. And so now mm -hmm. I lead with not who I am, but with what I do and why I do it. Yeah. I Yeah. You nailed it so much with, with networking. It is all about listening to people and asking questions and giving genuine compliments. And then eventually it'll turn to a conversation about what you do. But if you can start with that, it, it, and it makes it easier. It takes the pressure off of you. It does. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. But, it, and also, you know, like you said, it's kind of like, oh, well, I'm a portrait photographer. But I remember asking certain questions like, okay, who hates having their photo taken? And like everyone raises their hand. And now I've got their attention because I'm like, lucky for you. The yeah, favor yeah. My favorite kind of client is someone who hates being in front of the camera and everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's totally me. Or if you don't know what to do in front of a camera, I am your photographer. I am going to pose you down to your toes. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, you know, and make sure all the poses are very flattering, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, oh my gosh, you know. So again, like you said, it's about service. What can I do for you? And fi figuring out what it is that they need, you know. Yeah. And I've had people that I've met at networking events, to be very honest. I mean, again, we'll see how that plays out in the future with just the amount of time you have available. But I would invite people to my studio to just talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. 
And, you know, sometimes if there was something that I could offer up, you know, things that I learned or books that I read, you know, they would take me up on it and we would, they would come and we would sit here for, you know, an hour or 90 minutes and I would just give them information to try to help them. And I would ask for nothing in return. So, I mean, like I said, you know, now kind of going into the second year, I'll have to be a bit more strategic about it. But my, I was very clear for my first year, I was willing to do anything and everything to meet as many people as I could to create genuine, genuine and authentic connections with people to be of service, to help where I could. And kind of, you know, if that, if the energy we put out is the energy we get back, then I was like, well, something good has to come out of it. And, and Mm -hmm. it did. Well, and, and even if that person isn't ready at the moment, for whatever reason, they will likely remember you in the future. And if they know someone who needs photos, they're, they're likely to talk about you, to refer you. Like, do you find that you get referrals? Yeah. Yes. I 100% believe that timing is everything. I mean, there's even people that I've met whose services I needed or wanted, but at the time I just wasn't ready for it. And then I reached out six, seven, eight, nine Mm -hmm. months later. Uh, But yeah, so Mm -hmm. the, the clients that I did acquire through networking, uh, they then referred their friends. And so basically 90% of my business for this first first year has been referral-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great. That's so great. That was very a very similar story to mine too, that it became very referral-based. And yeah, it's one of those things where once you really get it going, you don't have to do as much anymore. You know, and I, I don't Hopefully. know if for your second year, you, yeah, eventually, I know you're yeah. only going into your second year yeah. of doing this, yeah. but eventually it gets easier where it's not. So, because you do have this network built up and, and, you know, so many clients referring you out eventually that it starts to slow down a little bit. So there's not so much pressure to always be out there hitting the pavement. Um, so I don't know if you're there yet, but it, I promise it does get easier. <laughs> not quite there yet, but I think, yeah, no, that, thank you. That's, that's nice to hear because it is, it is a lot of work and it is a lot of time and it is a lot of time away from my family. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of these events are in the evenings, you know, mm-hmm. for us at least. So it's, it's hard. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, grunt work. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see where it goes for the next year. Can we talk a little bit about your, your packages? Cause I know you said it's the 2300, I think you said with session fee of 500 yeah. What is included in in your packages? You include hair and makeup and prints and, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So I work with a hair and makeup artist. And yes, yeah, so for the custom portrait sessions, uh, professional hair and makeup is included um, and basically my time. And then mm-hmm. for this first year, I did also include a print credit um, of $350. So most of that session fee really uh, went to the hair and makeup artist. Mm-hmm. because our fees are, are higher here in Canada for that than some other places I've heard of. And the rest of it went, you know, really to the print credit. So I don't necessarily really make anything out of the session fee. And then for my three main collections, yes, I offer uh, seven by 10 matted prints uh, okay. in a folio box. Uh, I give the, the intro package uh, is just a standard black um, folio box. And then they get the option to actually customize uh, the reveal box um, for the medium and the highest package. So they can pick whatever linen, leather, color. I don't just stock one kind. Um, I really wanted to give people the ability to pick uh, whatever materials and colors they wanted. It's a, it's more work for me because I can't just pull, you know, a black box mm-hmm. out of the stock. But that's just something that felt right to me. I contemplated for a long time. Uh, you know, whether to do the five by seven, the small prints, because, you know, there's the argument, if you do that, people will not buy wall art. I personally just couldn't get the appreciation for the five by sevens that I do for the seven by tens. They just, for me, they they just um, had a greater impact and they were just more beautiful and it hasn't affected uh, my wall art sales. Um, So that's just, again, part of the starting this business, you know, when we talk about the proven model and what everybody else does, I spent a lot of time just asking myself, what do you believe in? What do you want to sell, right? Because going back to that, if you don't believe in it, you can't sell it. Um, So sometimes, you know, I kind of weird off from other people and from, you know, making things easy or as efficient. I just wanted to sell things that I, uh, that I loved. Um, and then in the top package, um, they have the ability to get the box or they can get a custom album. Um, they only get the option for the album in the, in the highest package. And then I sell my wall art, uh, as an add on as, uh, individual purchases on top of the collections. I like that the album is only available in the top package. Cause I feel like that's a nice selling point point to get people to upgrade. 
to that package? Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think for me, when we talk about that selling, learning to sell, you know, I've really worked really, really hard on providing people with a service and an experience and being their guide in them making their selections rather than kind of jamming things down their throat, right? Or trying to sure, like upsell yeah. them in very obvious ways. Um, so I always position myself as, you know, an expert and a guide and I'm there to assist them. I'm there to provide my honest opinion. I'm there to help them narrow things down that align with their budget, with their vision, with their needs, with their style, rather than just kind of trying to be like, hey, and do you want this? And do you want this? And do you want that? And I feel like that authentic disposition is what translates uh, to the sales because people really do feel like they are in control and they have the ability to select what best suits them. Mm-hmm. For our Canadian listeners, where do you order from for your prints? So I'm still struggling with that because I ordered the luster prints from either Technicare out in Edmonton or out of GTA Imaging out of Toronto. Okay. But they're luster prints and I'm not a huge fan. Uh, I would like something a bit more matte and haven't really been able to find like a matte print that's not necessarily a super, you know, fine art print on expensive paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mattes, I've dabbled with a few different ones. I've used graphy ones. And uh, right now I'm using the 3XM ones just because we get really posed on uh, the currency exchange. Yeah, uh, the that's shipping why I asked about that. Mm-hmm. And customs and duties. So yeah, it's really hard to get uh, products. I feel like we just, we pay a lot when you kind of yeah. add all of those expenses in. I've heard that, which is why I asked that question. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, converting a garage? First of all, how big is your garage? And then how much of it is your shooting space versus other things? So my garage is about 630 square feet. So it's like a double double Mm -hmm. oversized. Um, And essentially it's about half and half. So half of it is my shooting space and half is kind of the greeting space or the hangout space and where I display my uh, work uh, and my samples. And I actually like my office, my, my desk is here as well. So it's kind of this three in one, if you will. Do you like having the, um, I mean, I guess it, you know, being attached to your home, it's so convenient. So, and it's not technically in your home, but you're still home. Like, do you like that? Or would you, if you had the chance, would you have a studio away from your house? You know what? I, for the time being, I always say there is a reason and a season for everything, right? You know, for me kind of coming where I had come out of and making the drastic change that I made in life and my children being still, you know, fairly small, this made sense. Did I see it clearly in the beginning? No, I didn't. My husband actually convinced me to do this. And it was a, it was a fight uh, because I wanted to leave. I was very adamant. I wanted to just, I wanted to sell our house. I wanted to get a new house. I wanted to just leave. It was kind of like cutting ties with the previous life and with the mm-hmm. previous me. I just wanted a new start with everything. Now yeah. that wasn't possible because our Canadian market, literally at the time when I was considering making the switch, uh, the housing market, you know, went uh, Ugh, crazy. Exploded, yeah. Mm-hmm. The interest rates went crazy crazy and to find a comparable house to what we have and a size of this garage we were looking at over 1.2 million dollars and that just was not going to happen um so it made sense for me to be here um we renovated it ourselves I was very particular about you know the aesthetic that felt true to me and kind of you know my brand I do I prefer working you know for right now I do like it I do like it I feel like everything is kind of here um and I'm close to home now you know, if we have our grand dreams, yes, I would like to be in a in a commercial space one day. And I have a very clear vision of what that looks like. Now we'll see, you know, how quickly that will mm-hmm. come or if it's possible. Again, the commercial leases in Canada are just astronomical. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, as you know, before we were starting this recording, I think we actually had hit record and my kids like busted in here arguing <laughs> over, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, because I record this podcast in my kids' toy room. <laughs> Yeah, it's nope, um, I hear you. the sound is we our house has really high ceilings. And it's very echoey, so this is really the only room that works because of the way we have it set up. But there are pros and cons to to being at home, and there you know I can think of days when it would be nice to leave. But I also look, oh hi bud, he's pe- they're literally peeking in right now, Chadna. That's okay. <laughs> I hear you. There you go. Prime example. Case in point. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Um, yeah, so there there are times 
when it's harder, especially like my kids are on break right now, so they're not at school and there's no separation whatsoever. But I am like in my pajamas. Okay. I know I have my um, professional poser sweatshirt on. I don't consider this my pajamas, but the bottom is pajamas. Like I don't have to leave the house. I don't have to go anywhere. So that part is really nice. I'm assuming you kind of feel the same way where it's like, it's just nice to be able to. Well, you know, it is. But for me, it was kind of a little bit the opposite because coming out of the office environment, I was used to getting dressed up every morning. Mm, so mm-hmm. I basically, I do have days when I struggle because also the comfort of, you know, walking over from the house into here uh, in my pajamas and with my hair not made and whatnot. I do miss my days of having that reason to get up and, and put on a sharp suit and, yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, do your makeup and all of that. So it's been kind of this like du- dual thing uh, that, I, that I battle every single day. But for the most part, yes, the benefits uh, outweigh the disadvantages yeah. for me for sure. There is, you know, having young kids, I know you have young kids as well. It's, it's like, I can say I'm at work, but sometimes it, it almost feels, I don't want them to feel like I'm just rejecting them constantly because yes. like they yes. don't quite developmentally understand that. Listen, dude, I could have an office that I leave for eight hours a day and you are so lucky that I'm here right now. So if you can just give me this two hours. <laughs> Yeah, to, and not interrupt yeah. me, you know, because otherwise I'm going to have to go get an office, which I know you don't want me to do, you know. So it's this, uh, it's so it's it's yeah, it's tricky. It's, it's tricky for mm-hmm. sure, and I mm-hmm. and I feel the same way, you know, when I leave them and I say, "Hey, mom has to go work," you know, in the studio, and then it's like they'll come in, even though I said don't come mm-hmm. in, right? And then right, you know, or sometimes and, like my yeah. guy will barge in on client Zoom meetings, you know. But I think for me, yeah. more than that, the one disadvantage that I've noticed is. Uh, well, the one advantage has been that the clients really do say that they really feel um, like they're almost in their own living room, like they're hanging out with a, with a good friend, right? They oh, really like nice. that the space, mm-hmm. that the space doesn't feel, you know, cold, clinical, commercial, too big, too, mm-hmm. you know, too, too kind of rigid or too stale. Um, so they really do say that all the time. So that's the nice part. The disadvantage yeah. to that is that I have had a couple of clients, uh, you know, this year that we develop such a close, trusting, friendly relationship that the fact that I work from home almost becomes this thing where it makes the boundaries harder to implement because they will not show up on time for potentially a meeting or, you know, things like that because, oh, well, she works from her home. She's just there, right? So that's been one thing that I've noticed where it's kind of like my bad, you know, I'm trying to kind of be this really personable, uh, Mm -hmm. warm, empathetic person, but then I'm kind of you know, screwing up on the boundary side where they just think that they can kind of waltz in and out whoever is most convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Boundaries there are important. One more thing about that, just this shooting space. So the the studio that I shot in for four years, that was, oh my gosh, I made so much money, hundreds of thousands of dollars in this 300 square foot space. And it's actually, it's a video on the Portrait System membership. It's uh, called Shooting in Small Spaces. And I had just had my son actually, I think like six months before then. And Sue came and we we just we did a shoot in my little space and it I rented it. It was a one car converted garage. And when when I got it, I, I may have talked about this before on the podcast. So sorry if I'm repeating myself, but when we got it, I was sharing with a makeup artist and we needed to get out of our really expensive space. And it was orange carpet, orange walls, like really bad. And so my husband installed the floor, new floor. Uh, Kendra, the makeup artist I was sharing with, painted the walls white. We made it super cute. And from the outside, it looked like a one-car garage. And as soon as people would walk in, they'd be like, oh my God, this is so cute. Like it was tiny, but it was cozy and it was pretty. And there was something about it that I just really loved that spot. I really loved it. But if if people want to see it, you can see on shooting in small spaces. But yeah, so. Yeah, and you know, I think that is, like I had a lot of, one of my greatest self-conscious insecurities was regarding my space. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just people coming to my home and having to go behind the home to the detached garage and, you know, worried like, is this professional enough? Will this hurt me? I I, That took a long time too to get over. Um, Yeah. And, and again, you know, if you lead with service, I think that becomes secondary, but it's something that you have to, you have to work on getting over it. It was really hard for mm-hmm. me. Well, it's funny, Chedna, cause it wasn't even my garage. There was a grandma, mom, granddaughter who all, who the three of them lived in the house 
Oh, wow. Like next to the garage. I'm talking like that separated by like five or six feet. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. But you know what? I was already to the point. I had had big, beautiful studios that were expensive and whatever. And I guess my confidence level and my value around what I did was already there. So I just, I didn't give a shit if people didn't want to come to my little one car garage that I was renting. You know what I mean? I just didn't care at that point. Well, I think it is. And I think we just get really hung up on kind of perceptions, right? And I think sometimes it's sort of self-inflicted, you know, issues in kind of heads, right? Rather than the reality of what is. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been really great. I I appreciate that you shared all of this. And I know you're only just beginning and it's it's exciting. I'm excited for you. Yeah, it is. It is. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I do have a couple questions, though, that I always ask at the end of each episode. And the first one is, what is something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot? Uh, music. Music, number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, my gravity backdrops. Oh, gravity backdrops. Nice. Very cool. Do you have a particular color that you love to shoot on? I'm kind of your, my kids call it the color of poop, which is what I'm wearing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a... Uh, I'm a sucker for earth tones, right? So ochres, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mustard yellows, you know, dark kind of browns, um, olive yeah. greens, some sort of in that palette. So, uh, awesome. yeah, no one particular favorite, but that's kind of my color scheme. Cool. All right. Number two is how do you spend your time when you're not working? With my kids. So my daughter will be 13 in March and my son is six. I also enjoy spending time alone. Um, so yeah. any time that I can find a personal project, like printing personal albums for my, you know, my kids and or, or travels, uh, redecorating my house um, and self-improvement and learning new things is a big thing for me. So anytime I can kind of get into a course, you know, whether online or at the local university or learn, you know, read a new book or anything, I'm all for that. That's great. Cool. All right. Number three is what is a photography specific product that you would recommend for people? Oh gosh. Cause I'm really not a technical person. I mean, for me, I use a constant video light, uh, quite a bit that I really love. So on days when I don't feel like tinkering around with the strobes or doing overly complicated setups, uh, because my work does focus on, kind of bringing out the the character of the person rather than elaborate setups and elaborate wardrobe. You know, I really focus on the human connection piece. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. simpler setups are are uh, preferred for me. Uh, so a video light. I'm trying to see. Which, which light is it? It's the Godox. Uh, I have two different nice. ones, the FV150, and I think the other one is the FV300, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. I love a, a constant video light. I use one for when I do my corporate headshots. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I, I did a reel. I shot a, just, you know, I took a short video, threw it up on Instagram, and it has like 500,000 views or something. And my okay. mind was just blown by that. And so many people were, were really fascinated in what this constant video light was. So I ended up, I wrote a blog about it on my website and I linked, you know, just where I'm not affiliated in any way, shape, or yeah, form yeah. with it. You know. But I just linked where I got everything because people were like fascinated by this constant light. So it's like, I love it. Well, I think sometimes we also overcomplicate things. You know, we think like the more complicated, the better it is, but I'm a fan of simplicity. So same. Um, yeah. Yes. So I, de- I defer to that quite a bit. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. All right. And number four is what would you tell people who are just starting out? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, <laughs> A few things I would say, you can replicate business models, you can replicate systems, pricing, products, lighting, wardrobe, editing, you cannot replicate your own vision, Uh, you cannot replicate your own voice, Um, the experiences which inform how you perceive people and situations, Mm -hmm. you have to trust in who you are and you have to make that an essential component of your work. Um, I think being true to yourself and, and listening to that inner voice is really key. Uh, discipline and work will beat talent any day, uh, as uh, you know we've learned. Boundaries have boundaries. Working on that still. Uh, I talked about commitment. I think you know you have to commit to doing what you want to do before you can really take it seriously. Like you have to make that conscious decision. I'm doing this and be committed to it. Um, yeah. Set up your systems and your processes early on if you can. It saved my life having my 17 hats system set up in the first year. Granted, they're Mm -hmm. not perfect, but there's something there, right? Do less dumb things. I think sometimes in business, 
Um, we think that success is doing a lot of great things, but it's actually just doing less stupid things because every time we do something <laughs> stupid, uh, the rebound, right? Like the learning curve to kind of correct that and to get back to the place mm -hmm. where you were before you made the mistake, that's what costs you time and money, right? It's kind of refixing that, right? And coming up to speed. And I think listen to your gut, uh, listen to your gut, charge sustainable prices and trust the timing of your life. Because that was my, uh, you know, just because things may not be working for you uh, the way that you think they should or the way they've worked for everybody else doesn't mean that it's uh, not a true road for yourself and for your unique circumstance. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Thank you. Where can people find you online? Uh, Instagram, uh, Chedna, C-E-D-N-A, Portrait Stories, all one word. And my website as well, uh, com. Fantastic. Thank you, Chedna. Thank you very much. Thank that was you, guys. Awesome. Thank Are you, you going to WPPI by any chance? Trying to. Not sure trying yet, to. but I'm trying to. Well, let me know if you end up going. Give Sounds me a big good. hug in person. <laughs> thank you very awesome. much. Thank you, Nikki. All right, you thank you guys care. for the opportunity. I enjoyed my time. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the Portrait System Podcast. Your five-star reviews really help us to continue what we do. So if you like listening, would you mind giving us a review wherever you listen? I also encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com where you can find all of the education you need to be a successful photographer. There are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 90-day startup challenge, plus so many downloads showing hundreds of different poses. We have to-do checklists for your business, lighting PDFs. I mean, truly everything to help make you a better photographer and to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com.